surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. listening to Let's Talk About It. We are back again this week with a very, very special episode. This episode is very, very close to my heart and is very personal. Some episodes are special because of their topic, and some episodes are special because of their topic and also because we have special guests. And this week, the, the topic is because of the special guest. And it was something that came up very authentically in my life. And I felt like this is really relatable. This is really something that I think people struggle with all the time. And it's something that I've gotten a lot of emails about. So introducing Crystal Bile. Otherwise Hello. known as? My mom. That's my mom. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> yeah. So today we have my mom on. How do you feel about being here today? I'm a little nervous, but... So far, you're doing great. Yes. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Not one for public speaking, even if there's no one watching. <laughs> yeah, we are literally sitting in the living room on couches, in just pajamas. being cozy, in pajamas, with our tea and our yeah. coffee. And unusually, there's not even any extra cats in here, so it's yeah. just us three. Yep. There's no cats and there's no dogs. My mom is more the dog lady, and I'm I am the cat lady. Yes. Yeah. And the dogs are all standing outside of the door just staring at us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they won't make too much noise. <laughs> Hopefully no barking. But our conversation that we had this week was actually during one of the dog walks that my mom does, yes. um, which was the inspiration for doing this episode. So the episode topic for today is focused around alcohol and specifically alcohol abuse and I mean, really, this kind of came about earlier on when I was still in New York, when you had texted me and told me kind of what you were doing this month. Um, Mm -hmm. So first, I want to kind of start off asking you, how has this month been different for you than any other month? Well, I decided this month to abstain from alcohol. Um, There's a campaign out there called Dry January, and about 5 million people take part. It started in the UK. Um, The UK has a big problem with binge drinking and the country was getting very worried. And so they started this campaign about five years ago. Um, So since it's kind of trickled down and um, into the US. um, And I I had a friend that did it last year and I was Mm -hmm. really impressed. I thought, wow, 30 days, that sounds very impossible to not drink. Um, I'm a big fan of wine and um, I'm a big fan of, you know, just relaxing with a glass of wine. Um, so I thought it would be very difficult, but I knew someone that did it and I was very impressed when she finished. So I thought I would give it a try, but it wasn't, I didn't think very hard about it. Uh, I just kind of woke up on January 1st <clears throat> and um, I just said, I'm going to do this because I had had quite a few days where um, I had overindulged. Mm-hmm. And, um, I and just, how did you know that you were overindulging? 
um, I didn't remember the night before. So, um, and life is too short to not remember things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's been uh, especially brought to our attention in the last few months. Yes. Uh, my stepdad, Jason, who's my mother's husband, mm-hmm. uh, went into cardiac arrest and like died for yes. several... In front of me. Yes. Yeah. They were running a marathon and he passed out and... Uh, Kit yes. drove down from Seattle and I flew up from LA and we all met in Oregon and uh, he is alive and well now, but that happened in September and yes. uh, it's now January. So he's had some time to recover and things are starting to get back to normal. But I think that was definitely a period of time where you guys both kind of were abusing alcohol to this yes. uh, self-medication Absolutely. Um, yeah. kind of notion. And it's... It, <sighs> It's so hard because I think it's something like the people do in everyday life anyway. Like, yeah, well, you don't from realize. a hard day at work and mm-hmm. you want to just, you know, pop open a bottle of wine and wait as long as you can till it's five o'clock to where it's acceptable and you feel less guilty about it. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and since I have been abstaining, I have realized how distracted I've been by alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I realize how, you know, I usually kind of wait around um, and look, you know, look at the watch and look at the clock and say, like, is it time yet? Can I have a drink yet? You know, and mm-hmm. and um, I've had no problem not drinking and I've, you know, had no problem having alcohol around me, people drinking alcohol around me. Yeah. Um, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, mm-hmm. I have, I wasn't like I went out and hit all the alcohol. Yeah. Well, um, and I think that's a really important point because... When we want to like differentiate between alcohol abuse and alcohol addiction, which yes. we'll definitely do a different episode on, um, but that kind of comes down to a difference in severity of symptoms. Um, when you're abusing it, you're not necessarily dependent on it. Mm-hmm. Whereas with addiction, you know, your body becomes physically um, dependent upon it. You go through with, you suffer from withdrawals. Um, you're drinking kind of to prevent symptoms and it's having a really strong impact in you being able to live your daily life. Um, you know, they're, they really, when they talk about fun- functioning alcoholics, it's really with air quotes because there's really not a such thing. Um, but also you, you'll see this high level of tolerance, meaning that you have to drink more in order to actually get to that place of being mm-hmm. drunk. Um, and I think what you've been kind of reflecting on has been more this uh, ab- abuse of alcohol versus mm-hmm. realizing, you know, that your body's having these like physical withdrawals and that you need it every day. So I think yeah. that's a really important distinction to make. I think um, everybody is different. And I think that you don't really know until you try. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if you think if you're waking up and you're feeling guilty and you're not remembering things from the night before, um, you know, then I think that maybe you need a pause and just kind of reflect and, and just make sure, you know, like I had a friend that stopped drinking for a week recently and she said she just wanted to make sure she still could, you know? Mm. So, I mean, I think it's just, if you just kind of take a minute to just see what life is like without it. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great, I mean, it's, it's in a way a little bit scary to ask yourself that question it of, is. I just want to make sure I still can, because that alone should kind of be a red flag that like mm. you might, or, or at least that you're aware that this is maybe a little bit too much. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And for anyone that's maybe wondering like, oh, Taylor has, you know, Kit on, who's like good friend and co-host and then her mom on and like is this the first time that they're meeting um (laughs) first of all kit is like always around so 
not the first time, um, but also even how Kit and I actually met was... It's quite possible, I have to go over the timeline, but it's quite possible that I may have met Crystal before I met you technically. You did. I think you guys were already friends for about an hour before I even came into the picture. So let's back up a little bit and catch everyone up with what we're talking about. This goes back two years ago to when we all met. Crystal, tell uh, a little bit about what started this night that we all met. My friend uh, decided that she wanted to start drinking at the age of 46. Mm -hmm. Uh, She had never drank before. And she kind of grew up similarly to Kit where she grew up around in a dry family. Right, which we'll get into later. But Yes. Um, so she decided that she wanted to start drinking and she wanted me to take her out because you were the go-to for a good time and drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, side note, I have a little bit of social anxiety and drinking always kind of gave me a little bit of courage to kind of go out there and, um, to be social, Mm -hmm. I guess, if you will. So. My friend wanted to go out. She wanted me to take her out. And so I said, well, there's this piano bar. Let's go to this piano bar. And I wasn't expecting much, but it ended up being a lot of fun. And <laughs> That's it, how I recommend people come with low expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Low. <laughs> Keep them down. My, they were very low, but it ended up being so much fun that I called Taylor mm-hmm. um, and she showed up. But... I definitely got a little out of hand with my mm-hmm. cocktails. I was um, coming because I was the DD. Yes. <laughs> well, I was. We were Ubering anyway. Yeah. But um, yeah, some I just kind of can get caught up in it a bit and just kind of get a little. I mean, it's not like I'm lifting my shirt up or anything. No, I'm not crazy in you're that not going way. Spring but break on but, that but one, you're but. like very fun. You would be, yeah. you know, get up on the stage, and which do a is why dance it's with hard and- to go out and not drink because. You know, you do, but then there's, you know, then you kind of can go over too far on that side too. Mm -hmm. So it is, it's always like, oh, you know, I feel like I'm the fun one when I'm out drinking, but if I'm not drinking, I don't feel like I have that in me. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely something that I've been reflecting on uh, and trying to be, because I think that if you're the person that you are, you are going to be the same whether you have a couple drinks or not. So Mm -hmm. you always have that within you. Just you just like have to tap into it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just have to tap into it. So so anyway, I called Taylor and she came and um, cheeseburgers and milkshakes later. And Dick's. Taylor and Seattle yeah. favorite. Yes. And Taylor and Kit kind of hit it off and mm-hmm. became friends. So it was kind yeah. of due to my drunkenness. And, yeah. uh, and I think like when you and I were reflecting about it, Mom, uh, we spoke about how, you know, you were coming to the realization that some of the some of the people that you had met, how you met them was through being really drunk. Right. And that um, when people think about memories with you or they talk about the good times with you, that it's mm-hmm. all the times when you guys were really drunk. Right. And I mean, not that I'm making excuses, but this is behavior that was modeled for me through my whole childhood. Um, yeah. My family liked to have fun. They, you know, always had alcohol. I mean... The days when you couldn't go to a movie theater or, you know, just a, just anywhere without alcohol. I mean, today you can, it's there everywhere, but you know, they would sneak it in. I mean, we would, there was always alcohol around and then, you know, you kind of pick friends who are similar to your family Mm -hmm. and, but in the town that I grew up in, it just seemed like everybody was drinking and that was the thing that we did because it was such a small town 
um, that we really didn't have much else to do. So we just kind of got together and we'd go out in like apple orchards and drink. And we, you know, and um, that's just how it all evolved. It was between my family and basically growing up where I did and kind of being around it. And fun was associated with drinking mm-hmm. and boredom and, was associated with not drinking. So. And then if you weren't the one drinking, then you were like considered, you know, the not fun one. Right. But it wasn't as hard then as it was as I got older and I kind of got a little social anxiety and it, and then it kind of got harder for me to just mm-hmm. kind of be where I think when I was younger, I didn't have that as much. Um, and I was just able to kind of go with it. Like I'd be the DD sometimes and, and I was fine. And I was thinking about that the other day. Like I had fun before mm-hmm. and without drinking, but you know, as you get older, you just kind of get a little more, you know, anxious, I guess. <laughs> yeah. In I'm, your head. I'm wondering, uh, as you reflect back on your mm-hmm. life, do you think that social anxiety came at all from most of your social interactions having alcohol involved and then they, they, they kind of simultaneously became the norm in your head that yes. alcohol is present and then I take it to, so that I don't have the social anxiety and then they mm-hmm. have this codependent relationship. Yes. Like I didn't know, I I really didn't know when I was in my 30s and I was going to work functions, I didn't really realize that I needed to act a certain way. Um, and I embarrassed myself and I, you know, I was just kind of like, well, it's a party, right? Like this is what we do. It was just so bizarre that I just didn't even realize that, no, this isn't what you do. Like this is a work function. You're supposed to act... You know, a little, you know. <laughs> so yes, I think that bit. I didn't, I don't think that I realized until, I don't know, I think I'm still kind of figuring it out, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that, yes, because of the way I grew up, like you said, I think that there was a lot of social anxiety about doing things without alcohol. Mm-hmm. And then when the alcohol was there, I went to that to help, I guess, if you will. Um, and then to cope. To cope, and then it just kind of all snowballs, you know? Right, right, because yeah. I think there's a level of, of coping, but I think there's also just a level of you create a norm. You create mm-hmm. a, a way of operating and, and a way of existing within your social structure that is just, for all practical purposes, normal. Right. And then when you divert from that, that's when you, you realize other things. Well, that's I told Taylor the other day, I said, I literally have no coping skills. I realized that this month. Mm. And I said, I do. I, I do have coping skills. I said, yeah, I do. You don't, you know, you got to watch yourself talk with that because even though you're realizing that most of the way you would cope was with alcohol, that you got to give yourself some, some credit here, that you do yes. have other coping skills that are healthy. Like I do. You run, like you work out so hard and like props to you like you work that really hard like Mm -hmm. you read you journal like therapy used to be a thing um you know you talk to friends you do have other coping skills just the one that was you know the most unhealthy was done a little bit more frequently than the other ones yeah well and i i definitely go through stages where i'm better when i'm training for a run or you know super working out and everything i you know would definitely drink less and Mm -hmm. Uh, it kind of would keep me on track a little bit. I like to train for a run because then it keeps me on track a little bit. But I really think a lot of it is so much routine that you don't even realize until you stop. 
And, well, and not even just routine, but also like history, like you said, how well, you grew up, like our family yeah. history. We've had many family members pass away from cirrhosis of the liver. Like we have. addiction runs fairly strong in our family. And it does. a lot of the time it goes very unnoticed. And oftentimes the abuse of alcohol and other drugs is just something that is, we're just used to. It just, just kind of happens, you know? And no one talks about it. That was yeah. in my family. It's like when you have somebody that's 54 years old and they're dying of cirrhosis of the liver and you know that they've been told that if they stop drinking that they would survive, but they don't. Mm. And, you know, no one talks about that. And it's, it's very... Uh, what's the word I'm thinking of, Taylor? It's very um, damaging. It, so. it creates a lot of pain mm-hmm. within the family, definitely. Yeah. And it... Push it down. Yep, exactly. So. And that's... All of that kind of makes me makes me think back to one of the letters that we got that I really wanted to hear kind of your feedback from because mm-hmm. she, she kind of touches on the family dynamics here. So, Kit, I'm going to let you take it away with this letter. All right. Here we go. Let's say... I was excited when I saw you were going to talk about alcohol as substance abuse is something that runs deep in my family. My dad has been in recovery for 28 years. I'm 24 and never saw his active abuse years, and I'm so proud of him. And my older brother is a chronic alcoholic. He's been to treatment twice and has relapsed both times. I guess I wanted to ask you if you had any insight on my family situation. It's such a taboo topic. Everybody sees it and nobody says anything or talks about it. It's the white elephant in the room as my brother drinks bottles and bottles and we all do nothing. We've had two interventions with him, but he doesn't want to help himself at this point at least. My relationship with him is extremely strained because he isn't the same person anymore. And I'm one of six kids and I know my other siblings would agree. This has been going on for years. I wish I could talk with my family about how it affects me, but it's so taboo and hush-hush that I feel uncomfortable in that environment. I talk with my therapist about it, but just wish I had that family support and connection to be together in our struggles through it. Definitely can associate with that. You feel like you can't, there is nothing that you can do to help because nobody wants to talk about it and you can't really force people to talk about it. Yeah, it's, there's this really, it's a crappy line of, taking someone where they're at and that you can't give help to someone who's not ready Mm-mm. to off to not ready to accept the help. Um, you know, that's something that you learn a lot, just even being in the helping field that, you know, you can't help someone who's not ready to be helped. You, you can can't. try, but you know, it's not something that you can just make happen. And even if, even if that's forced, then oftentimes it, it can end up doing more damage. That is kind of what I think of as a sad truth, mm-hmm. a thing that is that you could look at and just say this is a thing that is true, but it also there's a, a sadness built into it. Like I think with with the listener, um, there was obviously a difference between something that happened in her father's life yeah. that made him say, "No, I'm I'm not going to do this anymore and stick with it." And something that has or has not happened in her brother's life where after repeated uh, interventions and attempts, he still doesn't have the desire to change. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that really anyone in his family can do other than just continue to love and accept him until there's a spark of desire in him and a reason to want to change. And so it makes it 
a, a, a truthful thing <laughs> that mm-hmm. you can't change someone that doesn't want to be changed, but it also, it is, you know, it's a sad truth. So, I mean, she's definitely taking care of herself because there's really not much that she can do, unfortunately, because like Kit said, unless he's ready to get help, he's not going to get help. And uh, he will probably get there one day, you know, Mm -hmm. when he hits rock bottom. But some people hit rock bottom and just keep bottoming. Well, because... The alcohol is present, and that is the thing that's obvious. That's the white elephant in the room. That's the thing that nobody talks about. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a couple layers deep where there's another reason why they don't talk about it. There's another reason he keeps relapsing. And it doesn't probably have to do with the fact that he really likes the way vodka tastes. Mm -hmm. It probably has to do with a a door that he is unwilling to open. Mm -hmm. And... And that's up to him. Yes. And, yes, absolutely. And I think it's important, you know, when we answer these letters, we also have to keep in mind that we're only getting a small paragraph worth of information of what's happening right. here. So there's really only so much that we can say on this. And, you know, we hope that parts of it are helpful. And the one thing I would say to this listener is, you know, she brings up that she wishes she could talk to the family about it and how it affects her, but that it's just so taboo and she feels uncomfortable in that environment. And the one thing that I would say to this listener is be uncomfortable. It makes sense that you are uncomfortable in this environment and that's okay. And you can talk about it. You know, it's kind of just putting on those courage pants and figuring out to how you get that voice inside yourself to just come outwards. And that takes a lot of courage, but you do have it in you. And it's not going to make anything worse. Mm -hmm. If anything, maybe it will change something, but at least you can say that you tried to do something, that you tried to talk about it. And if they won't talk about it, then, you know, at least you can make peace with that you've tried. And the one thing that I notice a lot in our family, you know, cause I think we have some similarities here to this listener in our family that nobody talks about it. And it, we see that there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of family conflict, but at the end of the day, everyone is feeling all of that pain because there's so much love in the family. And yes. when you speak to that love, they will respond. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember for your wedding one of my cousins who would like, he was chain smoking at the time, like (laughs) very heavily smoking cigarettes. And I was what, like 12 when you guys got married? Uh, 11, 10. 10. Yeah. And I took his whole pack of cigarettes and I wasn't, I wasn't expressing my feelings verbally, but I took his pack of cigarettes and smashed them (laughs) and they were like expensive cigarettes. I took the whole pack (laughs) and just put it on the floor and smashed it with my heel. You were 11 years old? Oh, man. oh, she was, she wrote me a letter because I smoked when I was in my twenties mm-hmm. and yeah. I wasn't, I was more of a social smoker, but, uh, I definitely smoked and, yeah. um, she wrote me a letter and said, mom, I don't want you to die. Please quit smoking. And I think I quit the next day. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> trust me, she was that even is... more stubborn than she was, than she is now when she was little. Yeah. But, but with that, like I was speaking to the love part. You know, I yes. love you. I care about you. I don't want you I, to die. Yeah, I don't want to lose you in my life. And it sounds like this is what the listener's struggling with, you know, that she's fearful that, you know, she's going to lose her brother to this and that her brother isn't able to find the same path that her dad found. And on one hand, that might be a path that he has to go down. And on the other hand, 
you absolutely have every right to express how you're feeling. And I, I, I find it hard to believe that not one person in your family would hear you if you spoke from that place of love. Mm-hmm. I think that also, this also falls under the category of sad truth where yes. there's, just like there's a truth that you can't change someone that is unwilling to change and you have to accept that. I think the reason that that makes us sad is because of our love for them. And the reason that we don't want it to continue to cause pain and suffering is because of the the potential that we see mm-hmm. with with the way that we could all be interacting in a way that is that is healthier and to see someone self-destructed is actually that love that is giving us that sense of urgency and even sadness. I think it's amazing that this listener is talking about it in therapy and I would say, you know, pat yourself on the shoulder for doing that because in that you are coping in a very healthy, reflective way that's going to be really positive for you in the long term. Um, you know, she what what she's more experiencing is actual alcoholism, alcohol addiction, Mm -hmm. whereas in our situation, you know, we're kind of talking about uh, alcohol abuse, but I think even in in both of those, it's a way of coping. And I'd love to hear some more of the reflections that you've been doing, Mom, Mm -hmm. since you've started Dry January and you've started not drinking and just kind of what reflections you're taking away from that in terms of the, you know, self-medicating and the coping Mm -hmm. and all of that. Well, I think that I've realized that I do have it inside of me to cope and I do have it inside of me to be funny and to be, have fun and, you know, to do these things without drinking. Um, a lot of people ask me, so are you smoking a lot of weed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> weed and we is legal do live here. in Seattle. Yes. Seattle, weed, you know, marijuana is legal. It's right down the street. <laughs> <laughs> Literally two blocks um, down from us. And my answer to that is no, I... I want the reason that I'm doing this is to be sober, to experience things, to to test myself, to learn things, to change. Um, and which is very, very courageous of you. Well, thank you. I just, you know, I woke up on New Year's Day, and I usually pride myself of not being hungover on New Year's Day because I always say New Year's Eve is for amateurs. So <laughs> you can't see, but I just butted my head against my microphone <laughs> and slightly eye rolled. That's when all those amateurs come out to drink. You yes, know, from yes. someone who works in the industry, it's true. It is. It so. is true. But uh, we did a uh, pairing, a dinner pairing with drinks, and and the drinks ended up being a lot bigger than I thought they would be. I mean, full glasses, and it was six courses, so that's six drinks. Um, and then which led, you know, usually once you're past that point, you know, that leads to more drinks and champagne at midnight and this and that. And, and, um, I think I just kind of, again, I wasn't planning to do it. I knew of it and I knew that it was out there and I just kind of woke up and I was like, you know what, you're going to be 45 this year. Like this, like, aren't you tired of this? You know, like, isn't this enough? I mean, your husband just died in front of you a couple months ago and I get it, you know, it's a little messed up and you know, you've had trouble coping and, but you know, life is so short and so precious and isn't it better to remember things and, and not wake up and not know what happened and, and not realize, you know, that you've, you had this life and, and here it is, it's new year's 2018. And you know, do you, do you remember watching the ball drop? No. 
you think you did. And, you know, it just, you wake up and you have so much guilt and you have so much shame. And, you know, I just woke up and I was like, that's it. Like, this is it. Like, I'm just done. Like, I need to do this for myself and for my family and for my life and to be healthy and to reset myself and to realize that I am still in there somewhere under all that wine, you know? You are. (laughs) I mean... I'm in there under all that wine. I mean, it's probably, you know, the longest... Like, And I'm not saying being drunk all the time, but I'm saying this has probably been the longest I've actually been sober without having a glass of wine or a beer or this or that since I've been pregnant with you, Taylor, you know? And it's kind of sad, but it's... We get in these routines and then we we kind of have this muscle memory, you know, where you open a bottle of wine on a Friday night and you watch a movie and then you feel like, you know, oh, that was so much fun. Let's do that again. But it really is just the fact that you're watching a movie with your loved one, you're home with your family, you're out to a nice dinner. It's not the wine. It's not the alcohol. It's just, you're just associating that feeling with it. And you just need to kind of break out of that and I, that's a lot of what I've been reflecting on that and just realizing that I can still be, I still am who I am. I'm in there. Absolutely. And I'm the same person. The thing that you touched on though, and that, that I really love in that, our conversation, you know, a few days ago mm-hmm. was really focused on was the shame. Yes. Shame is a big, big part. I think alcoholism is that you're, you become so ashamed possibly of what you're doing that you're waking up and drinking to, to numb it out where alcohol abuse, you know, you're, um, waiting till five o'clock, you know, or you're, you're abusing alcohol, but you're not physically addicted to it. The difference there is that the shame is like tenfold more yes. when you actually become physically addicted. Yes. And with the alcohol abuse, I think that it just comes out that the shame is internalized and comes out in other ways where like, you know, last year when your friend did the dry January and there was mm-hmm. some judgment from you on that of like, oh, why would she do that? But like, that's the shame that you're actually feeling about yourself and the, yes. you know, the feeling that that's totally impossible for me to do. Like, why would I even want to do that? I don't need to do that. Yeah, I think a lot of it is denial. You know, we deny to ourselves that we are drinking too much. We, you know, a lot of it is routine and it's, you don't realize until you stop. It's like, oh, I can't watch The Bachelor without my glass of wine. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't watch a movie without my glass of wine. I can't, you know, do this or do that. And, you know, try going on The Bachelor without any (laughs) glasses of wine. Well, and I think seeing you, I mean, I kind of have you as like a role model, if you will, in a weird way that you don't drink and you, we go out, you know, we don't go out together, but sometimes. We go out together. Sometimes. And you're like not a, you're like a cool mom, even minus your drinking. <laughs> like you, you ha- she had me when she was only 20. So you're very young. Like we're very close. Like we go out, do karaoke together and. Yeah. We but have fun. I see that you can have fun without alcohol. And I don't yeah. think a lot of people have that person in their life to kind of look at and say, you know, and, and you I have too. Rob, mm-hmm. uh, our friend, who no, also... No, he'll, he'll appreciate the shout out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we also Rob. have... Yeah. Yeah. He, I think he, he was, was never that he wasn't on for this episode. <laughs> oh, really? He's <laughs> he like, well, it, he I don't made drink. made here in spirit, so... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I have Rob, who I've always, you know, but then he's always kind of giving me crap, you know, posting mm-hmm. like, here, you need this wine glass that 
fits a whole bottle of wine in it <laughs> and things like that. So he kind of gets a kick out of it. But uh, I know it's all in good fun. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we talk about, we touched on socializing a little bit, but, you know, for me, like someone who has never really drank, I mean, I drank a little bit when I was like 13 was when I first experimented with drinking and I never got to the point of being fully drunk. Like I got tipsy and that was enough for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the taste. I didn't like you know, feeling like, oh my God, I'm not going to be in control of my thoughts or my body or what I say. Like that feels really uncomfortable. And just seeing how ridiculous other people looked and acted when they got drunk. I was like, I don't want that to be me. And then just even seeing my friends get in like really terrible situations where I was like, "Mm, no, thank you. And then also the family history and Mm -hmm. having, you know, relatives pass away of cirrhosis. It was just kind of like, I want to be able to still, you know, have a good time with my friends and go out and do whatever and go to college and have all these experiences without feeling the pressure to drink and or without feeling like shameful of myself for not drinking. And I think that might be something, you know, as you go through this month not drinking and go out socializing and interact with other people that you'll find that there are some people that will judge you for not drinking and that's something I experienced on the show too where like it makes other people really uncomfortable sometimes to know that Mm -hmm. there's someone else around them who not only is not drinking that night but never drinks that there's this you know assumption that that I'm going to judge them on a super or that harsh you're better than them. Or that I think I'm better than everyone else. Well, I think that's only because there's a voice in their head yes. that says, I couldn't do that. Do that. Absolutely. And then there's another voice in their head that says, you're awful. Mm-hmm. Or some version of Something. that. You couldn't do it. Therefore, your self-worth is down and you should feel a little ashamed and you should feel... Well, and I think it brings up that assumption and that judgment and that shame that's projected out onto me because right. internally they are already feeling that way about themselves when they mm-hmm. are drinking. Yes. Right. But just seeing you or someone that's not drinking at reflection. all gives them gives that place in their head space to talk and, and then they project it onto you because they think it's, it's because of you. But all you're doing was, was giving them space to, to reflect on something that was already there to begin with mm-hmm. and they weren't quite ready to wrestle with. Or they surrounded themselves only with people that didn't challenge them in that way. Yeah. And so when someone does come on that does, they, they get judgmental mm-hmm. towards themselves. Yeah, I mean, I'll admit that I'm guilty of that because I didn't until I was, until I met Rob probably, which was my mid twenties. I didn't know anybody that didn't drink. Yeah. Everybody drank to excess and that's what you did for fun. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to, to meet someone that didn't drink, it just, it was very interesting. And then when Taylor chose not to drink, you know, it, it just, it, I, I have been guilty of that, but not with Taylor and Rob because I just definitely respect them for choosing not to drink. But in my younger years, I will say that I have been guilty of, of oh, well, look at you. Aren't you so great? Oh, I don't drink. You know, because yeah. it's more my feelings that I'm putting onto them. It yeah. doesn't really have anything to do with them. I just, I, it's me feeling shame or guilt about my drink. So that was something that I experienced both, you know, after the show and 
before the show even of people asking me, how do you continue to socialize? And, you know, how do you deal with like people being uncomfortable or people judging you or not giving into that pressure? And it kind of goes back to some of what we talked about in our last episode on self-confidence and getting out of your head that the people that are judging you or shaming you for it or making you feel uncomfortable for choosing not to drink, whether it's that night or whether it's for a month or whether it's as a lifestyle change, that that is coming from a place within themselves. So first to remember, it's not about you. It's not about your projection. choice. Exactly. Projection. Second, that that person that is judging you in that way may not be in the right place to even actually be able to be your friend at that point. And if that is the case, then that's okay. Let that person shame and judge and feel uncomfortable around you. You know, that's not someone that you necessarily need to pursue a friendship with. But to follow up to respond to one of our listeners, he actually touched on this notion of socializing and people kind of judging and having this weird interaction around it. And it's actually from a male. So it's our first male letter. We have had other males write in. Yes. So this is the first from a male that we are reading. And since I read most of the letters, this is the only (laughs) one that's going to kind of make sense (laughs) coming from this voice. He says, first, thank you for your podcast. I honestly listen to it as I work or play video games. But alcohol, LOL. LOL. You got to include the LOL. <laughs> Already, I, I never say that in real life. All right, here we go. I'm going to do it again <laughs> do to be... La- you have to do a laugh as you say it. Oh, okay. I'm going to do this to be pure to, to, pure to this writer. <clears throat> First, thank you for your podcast. I honestly listen to it as I work or play video games. <laughs> but alcohol, now that's serious. Today, people think chugging a bottle of Hennessy is cool, badass, lit, than having a social intellectual conversation with whiskey on the rocks with mature people who don't just drink to be cool, to fit in. Can you touch on the difference of social drinking and drinking to fit in? What do you think, Ma? Well... You chugging that bottle of Hennessy to get lit? (laughs) It depends. Uh, If you can sit and have a, you know, a glass of whiskey and have a conversation and... You know, it's a lot different than chugging a bottle of Hennessy. I mean, it depends why you're drinking. Are you drinking to socialize? Because really, when you're chugging a bottle of Hennessy and you call that social drinking, it's not. Mm-hmm. When you are drunk, you're not social because you're in your own little world. You don't know what's going on. You don't remember what people say. You just are kind of going and doing what you want to do. It's not really a social thing. Well, it's really you escaping your own inner self. Yes. You know, when you're chugging to get wasted. When you're chugging, your, your, your goal is to get drunk. Mm-hmm. If you're having a glass and you're, be, you know, just sitting and having a glass and taking your time with it, enjoying it, having a nice conversation, that's different. If it turns into three, four, five whiskeys, yeah. it's the same as chugging a bottle yeah. of Hennessy. It's just a lot slower. Well, everyone's a little and, bit different, so. Yes. And the difference too, you know, when you are social drinking, that is still, you're able to have a conversation. Yes. You know, that is the one glass of wine with dinner, maybe mm-hmm. two. The fit, drinking to fit in does come more from the chugging to get mm-hmm. wasted because that is what, you know, our society is telling us is cool and badass and we're going to turn up, you know, we're going to get lit. Um, and that is where you see the alcohol abuse because... Mm-hmm. 
if you're able to get to that point, if you're able to chug that bottle of Hennessy on the regular to get yeah. lit turn up every weekend, that, my friend, is developing a tolerance. Right. It is. Well, I think the key here to this letter is, uh, and, and this, even the way that he put it, uh, drinking to fit in, mm-hmm. I think the important thing to look at there is where you're trying to fit in. Because if you go into yes. a place and you say, I'm not going to drink, and you immediately, just by saying that, or even if you go say, I'm having one drink, and you don't do the three rounds of shots that are happening right after that, and in some way, your whole social circle looks at you and goes, well, that's weird. What are you doing? Why are you whatever? And, and then you, you give in to that, and then you continue drinking. That, that is, I think, the definition of drinking to fit in. And so I think an important distinction is, who are the people around you and yes. how do they, and how does your dynamic change if you change that component? And if it changes completely, you know you're drinking to fit in. Well, and, and especially when you're thinking of fitting in, who are you trying to fit in with? And if you don't already feel like you fit in within your group of friends, then maybe that is a sign right. that you and those friends don't really have that much in common. Because if they want to turn up and get wasted every weekend and black out and they think that's a cool, fun thing to do, and you're like struggling with that, that might not be the group of friends for you. And that's totally okay. That doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you at all and it doesn't even necessarily mean there's anything wrong with them that too and it also still doesn't mean that there's anything wrong necessarily with still hanging out with them but if you are feeling pressured or feeling uncomfortable with that one thing i do that could be helpful is i'll just get a soda water with muddled lime and mint and then people who i meet out still think that i'm drinking yeah and Sometimes, you know, I have to gauge the appropriateness. If this dude is like clearly drunk and is coming up to me, trying to hit on me or something, I'm just going to be like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not drinking for tonight. Like got to drive home, you know, ha, 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 and turn away. Yeah, you can you do don't need some to- things to make yourself more comfortable. If you, if you feel very strange about, if you feel like you're not fitting in, you feel like people are giving you a hard time. I mean, you can, you know, ask for, uh, you know, whiskey, with water and then just, you know, or something, uh, you can ask for a drink and then just say, you know, can I have a rum and Coke? Hold the rum, you know, and no, no one will know, you know, just throw a lime in there. You yeah. know, you can ask just for a rum a and Coke in, in front of somebody and then go find the waitress and say, Hey, can you just like leave the rum out? I mean, it's silly that we have to do these things, mm-hmm. but if you really want to hang out with these people, but you don't want to feel the pressure to drink, you can. And then, you know, my advice to you is to sit back and watch and see, are these really people that you want to hang out with? Yeah. Because if you're sober and they're drunk, you might find out something that you didn't know before, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of take it in and see yeah. what happens. But I think this is a really cool thing that can happen is if you have a normal social structure and the way things work and your friend groups and a common denominator thread between all of those is this alcohol. And you do this, you go over here, you have a drink. You go to a party, you have a drink. You go to a movie, you have a drink. This is, be, this is just a thing that is, that is normal. And then you take out that common denominator that has mm-hmm. tied all these things and all these friend groups together. And then you just simply pay attention to the way the dynamic changes between, your, uh, between all these people and the way these relationships change. And I think it is a more, there's more layers to a friendship that can exist when you're all out drinking and then can exist when 
one or neither of you is drinking. Yeah. And it's not necessarily one's, you know, higher or lower or better, but it does just tell you something when you can hang out with someone and have some drinks and have a party and it's fun. Mm -hmm. And then you can also go for a hike or you can go play tennis or whatever and not have any alcohol and still have Mm -hmm. a vibe with them. That I think is very telling of the kind of friendship that is. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think, too, it's okay to be friends with someone who maybe does drink more than you or maybe you're trying to stop drinking and they are still going to drink. You know, I think I have friends still, even friends from the show, who when we go out together, you know, they do want to get real lit. They want to turn up and, like, that's totally fine for me. For me, that's separate. That's their prerogative and I know, you know, the next day we'll go out and get brunch together and have like a good conversation about things. And there's that balance. You know, if I felt like I was really negatively being judged by them and it was really uncomfortable every time we went out that I wasn't drinking and they were, I probably wouldn't go. And I like this conversation about, you know, friendships and having how the different dynamics between friends can happen when alcohol abuse comes into play. And we have a letter that is asking about that. She says, I'm currently a freshman in college and have personally chosen not to drink for health and obvious legal reasons, and I don't like to feel out of control, especially in a situation where I don't know anyone. However, I've had a hard time making friends since I don't go out partying, and the few times I have gone, I felt judged for not drinking. So being a freshman in college, she's not 21 yet, so legally, you know, doesn't, not allowed to be drinking, um, but... I totally feel with this reader that was 100% me and still is me. You know, I don't like to, I don't want to give up that, you know, notion of control that I have over myself and what I say and how I act and the situations I'm in and especially where you don't know anyone. I could not agree with you more. That is partly why people drink is to feel more comfortable in situations where they don't know anyone. And, And maybe for people like this reader and I, just the thought of, feeling out of control in a situation where we don't know anyone is what would cause us to not want to drink because we want to try to have some control over being in that uncomfortable situation where we don't know anyone. And it's definitely can be hard to make friends when you're a freshman in college and you're not going out partying. Um, But I think, you know, even mom, that's something you've been reflecting on as an adult who is Mm -hmm. now not drinking and how that kind of changes your socializing activities. Well, I've tried not to kind of lock myself in the house. I've tried to get out and do things. And, you know, we've been going places and doing things. And my husband is still drinking. And, um, you know, that doesn't really bother me. It hasn't bothered me very much to be around it. Uh, So I've just been trying to not kind of lock myself away. I've been trying to get out and experience things sober and to kind of put myself out there, I guess, if you will. So... Uh, it, it's a little awkward sometimes. We went to a brewery in Oregon last weekend and um, I asked if they had anything non-alcoholic and I could kind of tell the guy was kind of judging me because he he kind of made a comment about, well, you know, we are a brewery. We specialize in beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I knew that, but I just like, wanted yeah, to dude, know. I know. Thanks. And oh, me feel like so <laughs> they had juice kind of for kids. I thought that was a little crappy, but it did, whatever. It didn't bother me. It didn't bother me that I was drinking water when everybody else was drinking beer. But I think there is a part of you that feels uncomfortable with that because that's so different for you. But I was really surprised with myself that I wasn't because I just feel like I've made it this far. I've been doing so well and I'm kind of proud of myself. 
I don't think I've gotten responses like you got from the bartender because people either assume I'm 12 years old Mm -hmm. and I'm not drinking because I'm (laughs) clearly not of age. But the other way to kind of combat that, I think we have a past as women where if someone did want to be a jerk about it, we could throw it back in their face and be like, well, I'm pregnant. Do you want me to drink beer at your brewery? Right. That's true. That's like the sassy, the sassy, stubborn part of me. I'm like, yeah, "Yeah? you want to try to guilt me on that? But luckily there's a lot of places for a a few months last year, I quit drinking. uh, And there are a lot of places in Seattle when I would go out where it was, it was easy to just, you know, give a look to the server and be like, what do you have non-alcoholic? And very often they had a great ginger beer muddled with mm-hmm. whatever yeah. that was tasty well, ginger beer is a great non- go-to yeah, that's we have what i had of- on the show all the time they would you know ask you what do you want to drink for the night portion and i'd say you know my ginger beer and again no one like pressured me in that environment mm-hmm. like they knew i didn't drink so it wasn't a big deal but it can definitely be really helpful when you actually have places in your area that you know are non-alcoholic friendly that have little mocktails and stuff like that, like finding places that are a little bit more friendly to being sober to go out and make friends. Seattle is a very sober friendly place as well. There are a lot lot of really good cocktails and things, but Mm -hmm. there are at every brewery, there are always, uh, there's ginger beer, there's kombucha, there's some kind of non-alcohol, which is why I didn't think it was such a weird question to ask if they had any (laughs) non-alcoholic drinks at the brewery, but uh, you know, apparently Oregon. But like what kinds of things (laughs) have you been finding yourself do to get out of the house? You know, for this reader who's in college, like she doesn't want to stay in her dorm all, yeah. all the time, but she also doesn't really go out partying. And when she does, she feels judged. Like what, how have you been finding yourself being able to socialize outside of a partying or, you know, socially acceptable drinking area? Kind of doing things right now with my husband. I mean, we'd go to brunch and I just ordered a I realized that the kombucha had alcohol in it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she texted me the other week and goes... Kombucha has alcohol in it. It does. But this and had I said, a yeah, it's a trace amount. It, like I drink it. Two point five percent. Oh, it was a thick one. Yeah, and my friend said that she had one at a yoga retreat, and it was like eight point nine. Wow. And I said, "Well, were you buzzed?" And she said, "Yeah." <laughs> that's kombucha on but, a whole yeah. Other yeah, different level. level so, but like um, a regular kombucha, that's like you know secondhand like, yes, smoke. It's like like you get point five percent. Yes, I've been yeah. drinking a lot of it since I've been sober this month. So. Yeah. Um, but I got a, I got a, 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 you know, a Virgin Bloody Mary and we had brunch and we went to a movie and my husband got a beer and I got a hot tea and, um, you know, it just made me feel good to realize that I can do these things. I think we're just so used to being plagued by alcohol these days. You know, you can't really go anywhere or do anything. You know, I was walking around Belltown, which is in downtown Seattle and, you know, everything was like, come in and try this drink, come in and try that drink. You know, we're just bombarded with like people selling us everything. We're bombarded with memes that say, because alcohol tastes better than tears, we deserve an <laughs> alcohol a day. I have, mixed, yes. I have mixed drinks about feelings. No great story ever started with a salad. Yeah. <laughs> they're funny. And they're, they're really funny. funny because they're kind of there's a harsh truth to there's it. There's a harsh truth to but it. But exactly. it always, I feel like it always makes me feel better about drinking and you know it's everywhere it's it's yeah it's it's my instagram is filled with Mm -hmm. you know it's wine wednesday it's wine o'clock it's you know 
I drink coffee because I need it and wine because I deserve it. And, you know, it's just, it's all of these things that are flooding our brain with reward signals that we're okay. Well, and they're trying to reduce the amount of shame and guilt <laughs> yes. that you feel for doing it because yes. it, we all know that it's not good for us. We always yes. say, we say alcohol and drugs. Alcohol yes. is a drug. It it's is. just drugs. But we... <laughs> We put alcohol in this weird separate category because it's this special drug. Yes. And this it's a legal thing that can drug be, we all can love. It can be abused and it can be uh, a tool for, for, for fun. Again, yeah. It's not it, in, inherently evil. No. I mean, I but read... We're talking about a, a kind of a side on the extreme where it's, it crosses certain lines. Coffee is good for you if you have a, a cup or two a day. But if you're having 17 cups, it's not good. It's the same with alcohol. And I read an article about how you know your body absorbs alcohol and the liver can handle about a drink an hour. Yep. Anything else goes... Because alcohol goes completely to your bloodstream. It's not digested like food. So if you're drinking a drink an hour, you're good. If you're drinking what the doctor says, my doctor said seven drinks a week for women, you're good. Not all at once, obviously, but you want to space that out. But if you're drinking in that way, you know, which I want to go back, I want to consciously drink. Like the other day I got a little annoyed because I was like, you know what? I want a glass of wine. I just want one glass of wine mm-hmm. and I can handle it, but I'm going to see the did- month out. Obviously I'm not going to give up, but I think it just made me realize that I can do it, you know. But why did you want that one drink? Because I think I wanted to reward myself for being so good and for realizing that I can just have a glass. You know, alcohol is similar to food. If you're using food in a way that isn't healthy, you can overdo it and you you know, you don't mindfully eat and you you put on weight and like I've been in that road before too when I was younger and I before I could drink, you know, I used food. I emotionally ate Sugar and salt and fat are a drug too. They are. And when our body gets they addicted are. to those, it can be just yep. as hard, if not yeah. harder, to uh, change a significant part of our diet Absolutely, as it is to yeah. move a drug. But I want to get back to this point that you just said of yes. rewarding yourself. Right. And that's a big thing. I'm a big rewarder because I wasn't rewarded when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wasn't really ever, not to get into all that, but, you know, I'm a big rewarder. Like I, I worked out today. I ran five miles. I deserve a glass of wine. I'm going to reward myself with a glass of wine. So are there, are you finding other ways to reward yourself now that you're not drinking this month? Taking that extra time to say, you know what? I just want to sit and read today. I'm just going to sit and read this afternoon. Does that reward you like a glass of wine would? Yeah, because it's like I could be up and cleaning the house, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to. I wanted to sit and read. So when you are taking that step, say not this month, but when you are taking that, you know, I ran five miles, mm-hmm. I deserve my glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Well, I do that can with cheeseburgers d- too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> can you like, can you dig a step underneath that of why that drink is the reward of what purpose that's serving you? Because I think you want to drink guilt-free. You want to eat a cheeseburger guilt-free. And if you work for it, then I think that it eliminates some of the guilt. So you have to kind of look into that, I think, and get a little deeper with that guilt and that shame and figure out why you're rewarding yourself and then kind of tell yourself, like, it's okay. You don't really need a reward for this. Like, it's okay. You know, everybody's human and we all make mistakes and we all have too many drinks every once in a while. But 
you know. But if you're finding that to be If you're a finding it to be a norm thing, and you're finding that it's affecting your life in ways that you don't like it to, then you can, you know, experiment a little bit and try to stop for a while and see how it goes. It's like in the times in my past when I've had dogs, if, you've, if I've only trained the dog with a treat, then to get a dog to do anything, the <laughs> treat has to be present. And then all of a sudden, if you take the treat away and they're so hardwired to understand that the action is tied to the reward, that they won't do the action unless they see the reward right there. And that's like, I don't know, I, I've seen that make the dogs not behave very well because there's such a direct association with the action and the mm-hmm. reward instead of the reward partially being the affection and praise from the owner. It's only associated, especially with mm-hmm. some insanely food-motivated dogs, <laughs> yep. only associated with the treat. And then they become very hard to train, I think, in that Which way. Which tells me I need to not... I need to change that behavior. Mm-hmm. Or I need just, to look deeper into that. There's a little bit that. of a rewiring of yeah. the association between action and the reward that is expected on mm-hmm. whatever level. Yeah. Well, I think... Definitely taking a look at what's the purpose in this. What is my intent mm-hmm. of coming home and saying, oh, God, I need to open a glass of wine. Bottle. Open a bottle. <laughs> open a glass. Of, yeah, clearly <laughs> the, the drinker, drinker over here. That's <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, but when you come home and you tell yourself that or you're rewarding yourself with a drink of asking yourself, well, what is the intent here? Why am I feeling and what am I feeling that is the purpose for me well, you know, and I think the strength. that's why you have to sit with your feelings and that's really hard yeah. to do. And I think that's something you were challenged with this mm-hmm. week when you and I had our talk that yes, you it was the of- first time I actually even like craved a <laughs> mm-hmm. alcoholic drink or thought, oh, mm-hmm. I could really use a cocktail right now because I had all of these emotions kind of swirling after our talk and I felt a little triggered and a little emotional and, you know, I wanted to immediately reward myself for having a hard time with it. <laughs> I love that you said that you have to sit with yes. your emotions. And uh, I think an important thing to remember is that reflection mm-hmm. requires space. <laughs> and often when we go to reflect, in order to do that, we have to create the space. And if when we get flooded with whatever emotion, if the first thing we do is go to numb that mm-hmm. or repress it or to, and to stay very, very, maybe close to it, but not confront it directly, we never allow any space for you that never reflection learn how yeah. until you it. take and, away that thing mm-hmm. that was. Mm-hmm. And I never learned yeah. because well, I would just. And that's where you, after our talk, you know, we specifically kind of said like, yeah, like let's give some space for you to think about this and journal about it and reflect on it. And if you were to have just gone straight to, you know, I'm going to go grab a glass of wine, mm-hmm. that would have been the numbing. That yes. would have been the escaping the feelings. Yeah. That would have been trying to ease that discomfort. And that's where, you know, like going back to our reader, our first reader who was feeling like super uncomfortable with broaching this topic with her family that you can put your courage pants on and you can move through this discomfort. Like you mm-hmm. can do it. It's uncomfortable, but it'll be uncomfortable for maybe a few minutes. And after that, you'll be fine. And you might yeah. even feel a deeper sense of connection, whether it's with yourself or with someone else. And I think, I don't know if there's any more you want to share on you know, your reflection of that, but I remember thinking back to that in preparing for this episode that you know, it was the whole concept of 
rewarding yourself, of Mm -hmm. avoiding, of trying to avoid that shame, of trying to numb the uncomfortable feelings. And that that's where a lot of the drinking that we've talked about so far in the episode about even socializing is all to numb and escape these uncomfortable feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that becomes a a coping mechanism. I think a lot of people do that. And I think that really what it boils down to is that everybody, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you have that first couple minutes of consciousness, that first minute of consciousness, and the first thing you think about is the bad, you know, if you overdid it the night before, you don't remember what happened. And, you know, everybody has to deal with that on their own. And is it easier to deal with that? I would think it would be easier to sit a little bit with your pain, or at least that's what I'm finding out in this month. It might be easier to cope by just sitting with what is happening and going through your feelings and feeling it instead of numbing it because you still have to wake up in the morning mm-hmm. and you're still that you know, you're still alone and you're still dealing with all your guilt and shame. And nobody's going to clean that up for you. So like, what's worse? No matter where you go, it's still going to be with you. Right. So you either go immediately to numbing, but then you wake up and you're not numb and you're like, oh man, I screwed up. Why did I do that? Well, it may, it may, may feel like it's easier to just sit with it, but it will feel harder at first. Mm-hmm. To just sit with it when you're used to having oh, the absolutely. numbing, the numbing. Yeah. but but then I, I think about the morning and I think about how yes. guilty and shameful I will feel when you zoom out just a little bit. Yes, and you take not not even huge picture, just like a twenty four hour thinking window, forward, just to a twenty four hour window. It's yeah, it's like I think about times when I've woken up and I'm like, oh, what did I do? What did I say? Mm. You know, is Taylor mad at me? Is Jason mad at me? You know what happened? You know, I mean, and I'm not this, I don't want people to think this is happening on a daily basis. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, uh, it was maybe happening once a month. Um, yeah. Well, like I, I remember when my season aired. uh, Yeah. That was a rough time. (laughs) It was actually a very rough year and that's not an excuse at all. But I think that this year, because it's been so hard and because of the way I've been reacting to it is why I've taken this time to start this year off in a better, different place. Do you want to reflect on or share with people what that, what that night was so that they know what I'm talking about? The first episode of the bachelor aired and we had a viewing party and, um, I definitely was very nervous um, you know, of course, I knew everything that you had didn't happened. Know, my mom was on the show, so she was really nervous to watch herself. No, on it wasn't TV. just that. <laughs> she was not on. No, I was not on. Thank you. I was like, "You're nervous. <laughs> I'm nervous." No, it wasn't about me. It was about watching her, and I thought it was going to be so different. I thought America was going to be way different too. Yeah, if I someone thought- would have told me before <laughs> Taylor went on The Bachelor. Because I was, I remember the whole process, and I remember mm-hmm. the decision. Uh, we we were having brunch, and, yeah. and we were like, "Okay, should she do it?" Yeah, like I, I was like, "I think she should." But if you would have told me right then, she's gonna go and she's gonna be the villain, I would have been like, yep. "What?" Yeah, that goes against all the character <laughs> traits that I know Taylor to have. Exactly, yeah. and I think when it comes <laughs> down to like about you. <laughs> I know. I'm evil. Uh, I think what what comes down to 
my villainness is pretty relevant to this episode because it comes down to my issues and my concerns with alcohol abuse. Yes. Yeah. And, and you're concerned that about came up, that came up people on the show. The that was the source of the conflict mm-hmm. was <laughs> there's alcohol abuse going on here and I'm concerned and I don't mm-hmm. feel like this is okay. And not, and, and even trying to balance between, do I step in and try to help? Like, you know, if someone's super drunk and they're, we're on camera, I'm going to pull them in the house off a of camera and be like, we need to get you some food. Let me get you a glass of water. Like those were the things I was doing that weren't making air that are not villainous, but that <laughs> were very much like trying to care and trying to be like, this is not okay. And it's not that it's, it's not even that it's the environment, but that it's that this is what people do in real life. And this is how I respond in real life. Mm-hmm. And when it we're is, yeah. in super yeah. stressful, anxious situations, like this is just what people do. And what more of a stressful, anxious situation could you be in than exactly. on a national television show, like for the first time on a production set, all dating the same guy, like ugh, right. and not sleeping right. and, and not, not getting not, a lot of sleep, being super in your head, like analyzing every little thing, all of your insecurities coming out. Like it's an environment that makes a lot of sense that people would over drink and mix things yeah. or not be eating and drinking a lot. Like, so it was so hard for me to like take off helper pants and be right. like, no, just be you. Like only think about yourself here in this situation. Like you don't need to be helping other people because you know, that's going to be to their detriment. But I was like, I don't give a shit if we're all supposed to be yeah. dating the same people. Like you're a human being and I care that you are mm-hmm. like blacked out right now. And that's not a normal thing to do. And I don't think you're saying that everyone was this way and that everyone no, abused alcohol, no. but it, 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 it provided... happens in normal life. And this just happened to be a reflection of that in yep. real life in this scenario on the show. And the ingredients that combine just make for that to be yeah. a thing that can, can easily happen. And, and, and again, be- it's not that any of those girls are like bad people or that. No, you know, I like, did the same thing at the viewing party that those girls did on TV. Exactly. I mean- Literally my mom might as well have been a contestant <laughs> on the show the first night. She would have been the drunk girl. <laughs> I, yeah, I would have because I was very nervous and I didn't, you know, I knew that it wasn't going to go well. And See, I still had hope. I was like, I feel like this makes sense. Like, why would people not know where I'm coming from here? But Well, I could tell within the first couple minutes yeah. <laughs> when they showed you kind of rolling your eyes at something and uh, you were like, that didn't have anything to do with that. And I was like, yeah. oh, here we go. <laughs> yep. Somebody bring me that bottle. So we should try to land this plane. <laughs> and they did bring you many bottles. They did. And yes, I did overdo it. And it was more just my anxiousness and um, my just worriness and, you know, just. Yeah. There's a photo. We had like a little photo <laughs> booth and. There's a, you know, it's like four photos and like my mom's in one and then you see her head a little bit lower in the screen in the next one. And then you see the curtain behind us falling over in the next photo. And then in the last photo, you just see like my mom's foot just like up in the air. Like, and I had tripped over a cord getting over there. And I was like, mom, Apparently. I know what last night was like this. Yeah. Just, but that morning I woke up just feeling like, like a, a cartoon, just like slide by slide. Did I paint a good yeah. photo that of was that? Perfect. A good picture? Starts yeah. with the face, ends with the But see, foot. it's funny to laugh about now, but I had to wake up that morning and, and be like, oh crap, what did I do? Mm-hmm. Why yeah. did I do that? You know? Yeah. And not that I'm by any means like no. so used to my mom no. doing this. And that's like what it, I want to get across. But- this doesn't happen all the time. These are just 
isolated events where yeah. I've felt guilt and shame that we're kind of bringing up. Right. Yeah. And when and you take some time to reflect it, it yes. and, and notice is, there's a few of them and that there's some kind of pattern, yes. and if it's not a daily pattern, that it's some kind of pattern yeah. that just needs a little bit of yes. uh, look, yeah. mindfulness, then that's great. You're taking a really yeah. helpful step that way. I think too that there may be listeners who are kind of in my position where maybe they had experiences similar to what we're talking about, like with the premiere of the show and, um, you know, even maybe what your experiences were like with a parent who more fell under and is under, honestly, the category of being addicted to alcohol and other drugs and not just struggling with alcohol abuse, but that, you know, there's a process that you go through as a child or just as the person who cares about this other person who is abusing alcohol that there's your own process. And like our listener was doing, you know, she was in therapy and that's a great, great, great outlet to do. And I think the other part of it for me at least has been putting myself in your shoes. And like when the bachelor premiere happened and even the, the active minds thing, when I went and did that speech that we covered in episode two, those were both two kind of events where I noticed your drinking being too excessive. And Mm -hmm. I had an an understanding that your drinking was to numb the uncomfortable feelings that you had Mm -hmm. and were to ease your anxiety, that it wasn't anything malicious towards me. So I didn't, I had to process through my own anger or my own, um, you know, hurt feelings that, you know, how could she do this? This is my night. This is my premiere. I need her to support me or the speech, you know. That makes me feel terrible. I mean, I'm glad that you've yeah, no, for, you, I mean, it, but. for me in my process, you know, because I think it's important for people who might be listening, who relate to my position that I had to separate that between, you know, I know my mom as my, like my real mom, who she is. And then I know that she's trying to like that, that, that you're struggling with facing those real feelings that are really hurtful and really painful and uncom- so uncomfortable to deal with mm-hmm. that it was like, I understand why you're doing it. I don't necessarily support it and I know it's not good for you, but I know that it's your process and I have to kind of like take a step back and know that you're not doing it intentionally to hurt me in any way, that you're not intentionally trying to hurt yourself, but that it's literally just you trying to figure out your process and trying to figure out how you can cope. And that's where like, that was something else I brought up on the show along with the emotional intelligence thing was like, I'm concerned about your coping skills. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And looking back, I'm like, oh my God, I sound ridiculous. (laughs) Right. Right. That's just your training come out. You just went into what But that's my bubble. That's my normal, that's my normal language of my bubble. Right. But you know that when you think about like alcohol abuse and you're talking about that, like a lot of that comes down to coping. Mm -hmm. And that's why I felt like this episode made so much sense to have you on and to reflect on this stuff because a lot of what we talk about are coping skills. And it's, you know, we talk about uncomfortable feelings and all these uncomfortable things. And in order to deal with those, we have to kind of have a uh, gauge on what our coping skills are and to acknowledge, you know, ones that might not be as healthy and ones that may be more damaging and the ones that are really healthy and acknowledging those too. I think that that's the process that you've been on these few weeks of being totally sober, of figuring out, working through the shame that comes up mm-hmm. when you were drinking and figuring out 
the times that you would go straight to a drink of how do I cope with that now? How do I cope with that with the alcohol totally removed? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great takeaway point for the episode for you guys to think about after listening to this to go through the week and maybe you'll encounter a situation where there's a lot of stress and you feel like you would just be going straight to a drink. Take that out of the equation. What do you notice about yourself and what are the other things you can do to move through that uncomfortableness or that pain or that stress or that anxiety? I just think that that's like really important to do, but it's not something that we think about because it is so societally acceptable to just, is it five o'clock? There you go. It's safe to do now. Well, and I think that's why dry January is such a great thing. I think because it allows people to say, I'm just taking a break from alcohol to be healthy, to reset, to give my body a break. And there's really not a lot of judgment around it because so many people do it and it's a new year thing. You know, it's kind of like making a resolution and you don't have to say, you know, I think I have a problem with alcohol. I'm going to stop. You just say, you know, look, I'm doing this thing for me for a month. I'm going to stop. You know, they say that. Um, you can break or make a habit in 30 days. So I think that's a big part of it is breaking habits and breaking routines and and, and just all the realizing. reflections and insights that you're yeah. going to gain from this period of time. Yeah. And I think one thing that you and I have briefly touched on in our conversation was now that you're doing this now and you're getting this clarity and you're gaining all these insights about yourself that like, whoa, I wonder what it where I would be at if I had been doing this years ago. Yeah. For sure. So my question to you is, when January is up, what's your plan? Uh, My plan is to drink a lot less. Uh, I will not plan to get drunk. (laughs) Does anyone plan? Well, yeah, people do plan to get drunk. People plan. Yeah, yeah, they do. I will... I will do my best to consciously drink and drink. You know, there are times when... Hey, do you want to have a drink? And I don't feel like drinking, but I do it because I've been offered it. Because yeah. it, alcohol to me was is fun. Alcohol go hand in hand. And I feel like if I say no, I'm not being fun. So that's a lesson that I have to learn and that I have mm-hmm. to change. Just but, think of me. You'd still be fun. Yeah, exactly. And I do. But I think going forward that I will just try to consciously drink. I will not, you know, I'm going to go by that hour rule. If I have a drink, I'm going to try to stick with what the doctor says. Um, I'm going to cut back and just try to, if I do drink anything, have it be wine. Um, But I think I'm going to definitely cut way, way back. And Mm -hmm. I think that I kind of like the crystal that I am. And I think that I'm Okay. I like her too. No, I like, love her. We like this crystal too. I love her. Well, thanks. We, I, we like all crystals. And I can still but this be fun. Good. I can still dance on stage. It might be a yeah. little weird. You'll you'll feel the initial <laughs> discomfort, but then like Kit yeah. will get up too and like shake his booty around a little bit, and you know, then you'll be like, you know what? Yeah, you'll remember you're not alone. Yeah, and then yeah. it won't feel as uncomfortable. Yeah. There's another little tactic that I've seen socially mm-hmm. that I want to just put on the table real quick that I've seen some people use that's been really effective is they create the they create a health excuse. They start a yeah. workout plan or they get well, ready for a, a something and they just say, "I'm not drinking because I just started a new workout mm-hmm. plan." And and, and then but people, and that's one of the sad truths is that people feel a need to even legitimize but it. But it just makes. I'm just saying, but it's it can just make, how it is. But it can help. Like if you're a freshman in college and you're not go- and you're you know exactly. being judged when you're out, it can be like, well, you know, I have a paper I'm going to write this week, so I just want to be really clear. Yeah. But even creating. Even within your mind, yes. a thing that is like, 
I can walk into this confidently and not feel like I have to make an excuse for anything, but I just know there's a different layer of thing here that I don't have to explain, but if I can give something simple like Mm -hmm. I just started this workout plan and I'm really focusing on it and my trainer says, cut back. Most people will just be like, cool, well, and then if you're having fun and you're, you're engaging with your full self... Yeah, people are going to realize that you know that doesn't doesn't really doesn't matter. change things, and that's what yeah. I hope we can get to a place with in our society where yes. even for people like me who don't are not not drinking because they have a workout plan, but are just not drinking because it's a personal decision mm-hmm. no that that can still cares. be met with the same you know nonchalant, totally cool. Okay, cool. Well, you want a soda water then? Mm-hmm. You know because. A large part of that too, or that I think people do start to struggle with, like you said, is showing up and being your full self. Yes. And that's the thing, something I think you're learning now, mom, mm-hmm. of like how you show up to be your full self. And as you are being sober and as you are getting these insights, you're becoming more confident in who you are. Yes. And that's going to help you to show up and really actually show people how great and fun and like goofy and smart and all the things that you are even in a social setting where everyone is drinking. And I've seen it happen where once you have a realization of who Mm -hmm. that full self is, completely sobered, to be able to show up and be like, boom, this is me, then I've seen situations, even in myself, where when I'm confident in that and then I show up, and then I have a drink an hour. I mean, I love I love a good Irish whiskey. I love a good glass yeah. of wine. Yeah. Then that just enhances it. I I know who my self is, and I know what I'm projecting, and I'm confident in mm-hmm. that. And then when I add a little bit of alcohol to it, it actually can make everything uh, really really great. And it's n- not moving into that abuse territory in mm-hmm. my mind or in my behavior. And I don't wake up with any regrets, which yes. is a great place. I think yeah. we should all move towards. And I think the more people that that are vocal about it and that decide not to drink or decide to drink, you know, a lot less or to be socially, yeah, to drink consciously and to and to go out socially and you know, I think the more people that do that, the more things will change. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's not all about getting lit or drunk or, you know, I mean, I I listened to an interview recently with Kendrick Lamar. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke weed because he wants to stay clear-headed to write his lyrics. He's staying humble. Right. So, you know, look at some of these these <laughs> look at some of these people that can be, you know, maybe a, a role model to you that you think maybe because they're writing about hoes and <laughs> and Hennessy. And Hennessy. And lit. It's I, just... Is that, is that how it... See, you're a cool mom <laughs> talking about hoes. <laughs> anyway, I think we're going off the rails here. Anyway, you want to wrap? Um, Getting a little delirious and hungry. I kind of mentioned to take a takeaway point a little bit earlier, but want to reiterate it. So after listening to this episode, if you want to take the discussion that we've had here and expand on it in your own personal life... It's kind of the goal here for this to be a stepping stone for you to working on your own personal development in your everyday life. So takeaway for this, if you find yourself in a situation where you would go straight to alcohol routinely, stop and ask yourself, what else can I do? Take the alcohol out of the equation, find a different way to cope. Try going for a hike try journaling, try calling a friend, take your dog for a walk, scroll through Instagram if you need to, (laughs) go comment on our Instagram page if you want at at let's talk about it underscore podcast. 
um, you know, find any other way that you can to try to cope and challenge yourself there. See what you can come up with. Second, challenge yourself with socializing once this week or even this month. Sober. You can use some of the techniques and possible coping skills that we've given out here, you know, like getting a soda water with muddled lime and mint or getting a ginger beer or telling someone, you know, that you have this workout plan that you're not drinking on. Challenge yourself to show up as your full self and, you know, don't necessarily go into the socializing with this umbrella that you're going to be judged and try to just go in confidently knowing that you are a fun person. You are still someone who brings a lot to the table. You can still have a intellectual conversation that you are not weird or, and there's no reason to feel shameful for being sober in an environment where other people may be drinking. And the goal here isn't to pass any judgments. The goal here is to simply observe. How does it change when you take one social situation or one instance situationally where alcohol is the norm and just changing that factor and then just observe what happens in yourself and observe what happens in your your interactions. Yeah. And once you observe it, you know, you can share it with a friend. You can share it with us. We love hearing your guys' follow-ups in the iTunes reviews. We check those regularly. So would love to hear from you guys after this episode as to what you take away and how it's impacted your life. But we love hearing from you. If you want your letter to be read on the podcast, feel free to shoot us an email at ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at letstalkaboutit underscore podcast, or you can find us at Tamoka and at kitbender with two T's. And we're also on Twitter. You can find me at Tamoka and Kit. At Kit Bender. Two T's. Two T's. Thanks so much for tuning in to this very personal yet hopefully impactful and meaningful conversation about alcohol abuse. Thank you so much, Mom, for tuning in with us today. I hope it wasn't as terrible or scary as you thought it might have been. No, it wasn't. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Well, thank you so much. And we will be back next time. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.